Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. Welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 162, Mars Attacks. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always, a huge hi, welcome back to Verbal Diorama, whether you're a brand new listener to this podcast. Obviously, welcome back, regular returning listeners. Thanks for being here. Thanks for choosing this podcast. And basically, no matter how you got here, how you found this podcast, I'm so happy to have you here because. This is going to be a really fun episode. I say that all the time, I know. But we're here for the history and legacy of Mars Attacks. And before I go into Mars Attacks, I also like to say a huge thank you to everyone who's listened to the previous episodes. So there was a lot that's come out recently, actually. So I did a little dual episode on Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat Annihilation. And a lot of people asked, why? <laughs> why are you doing episodes on Mortal Kombat Annihilation? But it's got a story worth talking about. And, you know, I like to give the underdog a little bit of a chance every now and then. It's not as bad as you think. It certainly wasn't as bad as I thought it would be anyway. I also did a little dual episode on Romancing the Stone and the Jewel of the Nile. 
Again, it's a sequel that is probably not seen as favourably in comparison to its original, but they're super fun movies and not a lot of podcasts talk about Romancing the Stone and The Jewel of the Nine. So I really wanted to kind of give them a bit of a shout out because they're really fun and, you know, they've got a great cast and the cast is amazing together. Speaking of an amazing cast, I also did an episode on Enchanted, which gave the world the inimitable Amy Adams. And although she obviously she had been acting before that, but that was the role that really made everyone stand up and go, wow, this girl is so talented. And Enchanted was so much fun to do. And again, I'm taking a little bit of a curveball. I don't like to do the same things all the time and unless I'm doing like a season or something. So we're going from Enchanted to Mars Attacks. The week this episode is coming out, America celebrates its Independence Day. And so what better to talk about than the movie that wasn't Independence Day at the box office, the movie that was released five months after Independence Day, and is constantly referred to as that other alien invasion movie of 1996. But Mars Attacks deserves so much better than that. Also, Mars Attacks kind of starts to signal the end of Tim Burton's risk-taking and general batshit craziness. But Mars Attacks is also a hell of a lot of fun. Pretty much every human being, a stellar A-list ensemble cast in this movie as well, pretty much every human being in this movie, you want to get blasted by Martians. This is nihilism at its absolute finest. So, to the United States of America, to celebrate your Independence Day, I give you Mars Attacks. Here's the trailer. White House is coming out live. My fellow Americans, this is a momentous occasion. It is profoundly moving to know there is intelligent life out there. Alien life. And our world will never feel quite the same again. Once you believe. Martians, please come to Earth, please. Once you rise above fear. Annihilate! Kill! Kill! Let's not be too rash. Then you'll be invited. Hi there. Are you interested in the White House? To meet with a new people. It's so perfect that it's happening at the beginning of the new millennium. More powerful than the might of America. I'll tell you one thing, they ain't getting a TV. More advanced than the brains of Britain. Ladies and gentlemen, this could be a cultural misunderstanding. But be prepared for a few changes to what we know and love. I'm Jones, right? It ain't unusual. As we must learn to dance Girls, get out. to a new tune. Jack Nicholson. Whoa. Why can't we all just get along? Glenn Close. Kick the crap out of them. Pierce Brosnan. What, in your view, are some of the things that the Martians can teach us, Professor? Quite a lot about Mars, I expect, Natalie. That means Danny DeVito. You want to conquer the world? You're going to need lawyers, right? And Annette Benning. I think they've come to save us. From director Tim Burton. Hey, we all make mistakes, Mr. President. Mars attacks. Not anymore. We're going to take charge of this thing. 
when US satellites photograph evidence of intelligent alien life on the way to Earth, the world rejoices as US President James Dale agrees to let one of his top generals greet the Martian visitors. As their words are translated to, we come in peace, the crowd celebrates as the Martians start to fire their death rays on the population. Turns out intelligent life isn't benevolent and they want humanity destroyed and they don't care how much chaos they bring down or how cruel their sense of humour is. Right, we have to talk about the cast of this movie because this is an absolute A-list, stellar, intergalactic lineup of who's who of cinema, just generally. We have to start with Jack Nicholson as President James Dale and Art Land. He had a dual role in this movie. Glenn Close as First Lady Marsha Dale. Annette Benning as Barbara Land. Pierce Brosnan as Professor Donald Kessler. Danny DeVito as Rude Gambler. No, that's not the character's name. The character doesn't actually have a name. He's just called Rude Gambler. Martin Short as Press Secretary Jerry Ross. Sarah Jessica Parker as Natalie Lake. Michael J. Fox as Jason Stone. Rod Steiger as General Decker. Lucas Haas as Richie Norris. Natalie Portman as Taffy Dale. Jim Brown as Byron Williams. Lisa Marie as Martian Girl. Sylvia Sidney as Florence Norris. This was Sylvia Sidney's final film role before her death in 1999. Paul Winfield as General Casey. Pam Greer as Louise Williams. And Jack Black as Billy Glenn Norris. Tom Jones also stars as himself in this movie. And there's also Christina Applegate in a tiny role as Billy Glenn's girlfriend, Sharona. Legendary voice actor Frank Welker voices the Martians. Mars Tax has a screenplay and screen story by Jonathan Gems, is directed by Tim Burton and based on Mars Attacks by Tops, written by Len Brown, Woody Gelman, Wally Wood, Bob Powell and Norm Saunders. So Mars Attacks started life as a series of Tops trading cards, which by the way this year celebrate their 60th anniversary. So yep, in 1962 Tops released these cards written by Len Brown with art by Wally Wood and Norman Saunders, which had an arc about the invasion of Earth by a Martian race, planning to colonise Earth to make it their new home, the fight back from humanity, and the graphic depictions of what the Martians do to the humans, as well as other animals. Originally titled Attack from Space, the initial sales were good and the name was changed to Mars Attacks. They came out at the time of the Cold War escalating to the Cuban Missile Crisis and proved popular with children, but not with parents due to the graphic nature of the 55 cards, which often depicted explicit violence, gore and implied sexual content. Tops would repaint 13 of the 55 cards to try and quash the parental shouting, but an inquiry from the Connecticut District Attorney meant production of the cards themselves was halted in 1962 due to the outcry. Tops would start developing merchandise for the series again in the 1980s. Also in the 1980s, Alex Cox, Fresh from his writing and directorial debut, Repo Man was a huge fan of the trading card series and set about acquiring a complete set, including all the band cards. He did achieve this eventually, and he pitched an idea for a film based on the Mars Attacks trading cards to producer John Davison, who'd just produced Robocop. And they got a development deal with TriStar Pictures in 1985. Studio head Mike Meadowboy heaped praise on the first draft of the script, but wasn't keen on the ending. Cox would write two drafts, 
and the project was passed over to another scriptwriter, Martin Amis. The project would then get placed in development hell, essentially stopping Cox's dream for a faithful Mars Attacks movie. The idea for Mars Attacks remained in stasis, off-planet, until 1993, when screenwriter Jonathan Gems, who most famously had written the unproduced Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian script, had an idea for movies based on Mars Attacks and its tops stablemate Dinosaurs Attack and pitched these to Tim Burton. Originally, Dinosaurs Attack seemed like the best option, but you really don't want to be doing a dinosaur movie post-Jurassic Park. At the time, Burton was working on Ed Wood, possibly one of the best movies he ever made, about the infamous B-movie director Edward D. Wood Jr. And Mars Attacks felt like the perfect homage to Wood's most famous picture, Plan 9 from Outer Space, as well as the Space Invasion B-movies of the 50s. Once Gems' script was complete and a deal set up between Burton and Warner Brothers, Warner set about using the script to estimate the cost and set the preliminary budget. This came back at over $250 million, which back in 1996, no movies were getting made for $250 million. That seems relatively normal nowadays, but it was not back in 1996. As a comparison, Independence Day had a $75 million budget. Twister had a $92 million budget. Mission Impossible had an $80 million budget. Even the following year's smash hit Titanic had only, only a $200 million budget. The studio would only make Mars Attacks for $60 million and planned it for a summer 1996 release date. And so Jonathan Gems was tasked to rewrite the script to lower the budget considerably. The original draft was quite dark with strippers and drug addicted characters. After numerous attempts to lower the budget and the assistance to include burning cows, which the studio hated as a concept, but Gems and Burton loved. Gems was replaced by Edward Reuters, Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski in 1995. They replaced the dark tone, added more satire, worked on the characters, and most importantly, added the ak 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 as placeholders for the Martian language. They finished their final draft on the 4th of July, 1995. Back to that Independence Day thing again. That's not the last time I'm going to be mentioning Independence Day in this episode, just FYI. And speaking of which, coincidentally at the same time, word reached the Mars tax camp that filming had started on another alien invasion movie directed by Roland Emmerich, a decidedly more serious alien invasion movie too. Reportedly, not only did Emmerich know about Mars Attacks, he wanted to beat Mars Attacks to the punch and release his movie before Mars Attacks. The whole concept of Independence Day and the 4th of July was so they could release it before Mars Attacks, as Emmerich would state in an interview with The Guardian in 2016, quote, I told our agent we wanted to do it, and he said, forget about it. Tim Burton is doing Mars Attacks. I said to Dean, we can't do our film after a parody comes out. We had to beat him to it. If it came out on the 4th of July weekend, we would beat Mars Attacks, which was coming out in August. So we wrote the concept around the release date. Jonathan Gems would return to the Mars Attacks project and would end up being credited for both the screen story and screen play. This was despite the final product being co-written by Tim Burton, for which he would refuse a credit. Gems would instead dedicate the novelization of Mars Attacks to Burton as thanks. Together, they whittled the 60, yes, 60 leading characters in the original script to 23 and removed all of the planned scenes of worldwide destruction and devastation 
instead isolating it to three major cities, meaning that China, the Philippines, Japan, Europe, Africa, India, and Russia were spared from on-screen destruction. These changes would bring the project down to a more respectable and agreeable $70 million budget, but they needed some major movie stars to make the project viable. And so Burton got out his Rolodex, probably because phone contacts lists weren't a thing back then, and they needed an actor who could make a studio green light a film. Harrison Ford wasn't available. Michael Douglas wasn't available. But one man who was, was Jack Nicholson. Nicholson and Burton had worked together on 1989's Batman, and as the main star on that production, listen to my episode 153 on Batman for more on that, Nicholson had lists of demands to be met. Like on Batman, Nicholson would be the highest paid star for Mars Attacks. He would play a dual role as well. And it was seen as inconceivable to kill off such a high-profile actor, something that Burton would take delight in going against, as, let's be honest, most of the A-list cast do actually get killed off. Other actors considered for roles include Susan Sarandon as Barbara Land, Hugh Grant as Donald Kessler and Meryl Streep, Diane Keaton and Stockard Channing as First Lady Marsha Dale. These roles would ultimately go to Annette Bening, Pierce Brosnan and Glenn Close, respectively. Because of Jack Nicholson's involvement, it made other big names keen to sign up. But they had to sign up on a strict budget. Everyone else made a strict $100,000 a week, except for Nicholson. Nicholson got this star treatment because without him, the movie wouldn't be greenlit. Like in Batman, Nicholson had clauses in his contract, allowing limited hours of filming per day, a luxury penthouse suite in the Luxor when they filmed in Las Vegas, and guaranteed finishes to his day at 6pm to go off and play golf. They even played Hail to the Chief as he arrived on set to film as President Dale. And unlike most action movies, there wouldn't be a traditional hero character to save the day in this movie. Most of the human characters portrayed by A-list stars were and are deplorable, leaving the actual saving of the Earth to a senile grandma and her shy grandson. And even that ending was questioned by shock jock Howard Stern, who claimed he first had the idea for the music of Slim Whitman to defeat alien invaders in his 1982 sketch, Slim Whitman versus the Midget Aliens from Mars. While the budget for the movie was $70 million, the budget without effects was just $28 million. The remaining $42 million was reserved purely for the special effects. And yes, we need to talk about the special effects for Mars Attacks. Because the first thing is, the CG aliens in this movie are often ridiculed online for looking bad, let's say. But here's the thing, they're actually meant to look quite bad. Tim Burton always said that he wanted the effects in this movie to look a bit cheap. Because this was supposed to be a direct homage to those science fiction B-movies of the past. Not quite a guy in a cheap silver suit, but if you're watching this movie and critiquing it for the CG, you're kind of doing it wrong. Secondly, and most famously, Mars Attacks was never meant to have computer-generated aliens. Tim Burton's original plan was to go with stop motion, and a hell of a lot of work happened to make that happen, even though, ultimately, it didn't happen. Of course, this was all way back before the movie was greenlit, and this was when the budget was ballooning up to that $250 million point. But while this was always going to be an homage to those science fiction B-movies, he also wanted to pay homage to someone else, Ray Harryhausen. 
And I've spoken about Ray Harryhausen before several times, but most recently in the episode that I did on Jason and the Argonauts, because like Tim Burton, I am a huge fan of Ray Harryhausen. And Burton had been known for his stop motion work as well in movies like Beetlejuice and The Nightmare Before Christmas. His plan was always for these Martians to be stop motion. And so it was the March of 1995 when Barry Purbs of Bear Boards at Manchester got a call from Tim Burton requesting stop motion animation work for Mars Attacks. They basically had to prove to Warner Brothers that this was a movie worth spending this money on. Bearboards would build flying saucers and puppets and animated the first Martian speech scene using 12-inch articulated stop-motion puppets made by McKinnon and Saunders, who I have also mentioned before on this podcast. They were mentioned in my episodes on both Corpse Bride and Fantastic Mr. Fox. A team of 70 animators worked for eight months compiling test footage. There were problems, though, most notably with the glass helmets of the Martians, because when you do stop motion, you obviously take an image, you slightly move it, and you take another image. But it meant taking off the helmets for each frame, which added more time onto the project. And so while this was incredibly hard and sophisticated work going on, it was taking a hell of a lot longer than normal stop motion would take. Of course, the idea as well that you could easily animate glass in CG was probably at the back of people's minds at that point. So at this point, $13 million had already been spent on just the few scenes of stop motion animation that had already been done. And Warner Brothers wanted the budget slashing considerably. Producer Larry Franco commissioned a test reel from Industrial Light and Magic to show Tim Burton what they could achieve if they went down the CG route. They used a plate from the recently released Jumanji movie and a crudely walking CG Mars Attacks Martian built by Jim Mitchell and David Andrews at ILM. And it's basically a rudimentary 11-second animation of Martians attempting to steal the bumper of a car. Larry Franco showed this clip to Burton, and obviously Burton, as a huge fan of stop motion, really wanted the stop motion. But also he realised this was the only way that this movie would get done. This was the only way this movie would be out the door and done to the budget Warner Brothers wanted. So unfortunately, this meant parting ways with Barry Purbs and McKinnon and Saunders, although the latter would work with Burton again on Corpse Bride and McKinnon and Saunders would receive character design credits on Mars Attacks. Barry Purbs would go uncredited and was undoubtedly disappointed that Mars Attacks didn't work out as he'd hoped. But he would go on to work with Peter Jackson on King Kong, so it's not like he did terribly out of the situation either. With ILM now working on the Martians, the issue with the glass helmets was resolved, and there was a discussion of whether to switch off motion blur to emulate stop motion. In the end, they were with a hybrid approach of keeping motion blur, but making the characters act and feel more rigid in their movement. To give the Martians flaws, as evident in scuffs on glass helmets, and sort of wonky walking. They used Renderman to bridge the gap between CG motion blur and the way traditional animation uses dry brush to show motion blur. The models made for stop motion were scanned and used for texture photography, so they didn't go to waste. When it came to blasting humans, the actors were erased out of a clean plate and eroded with shaders and particles, revealing either a red or green skeleton. And this was mostly done because they were planning to release this at Christmas. So red or green is Christmassy. The exploding of Martian brains was tougher though because liquid animation wasn't really there in CG in the mid-90s. 
which is why the process of brain explosion is instant and then animated to drip and ooze down. The Martian robes, though, were all hand animated because, again, cloth animation wasn't really a thing and it hadn't been developed at ILM at the time. And I mentioned that none of the puppets got wasted because they were used as reference for the CG. And in a lovely nod to the practical sets that had already been built, the team at ILM integrated the practical Martian ship interiors that had already been made for the stop-motion backgrounds. So their CG characters just replaced the stop-motion characters. So no CG backdrops were used for those scenes in the Martian ship. Possibly also because those intricate little sets cost millions of dollars to make. And if you've got it, why wouldn't you use it? Why would you just throw money down the drain? Because let's be honest, they'd already thrown quite a lot of money down the drain already. The floating heads of Pierce Brosnan and Sarah Jessica Parker were trickier to put into the miniature spaceship set. Both were filmed against a blue screen wearing collars for reference. Brosnan was easier because just had to remove his body. For Parker, a CG version of Tim Burton and Lisa Marie's real-life chihuahua, yes, that is their real dog, was used and Sarah Jessica Parker's head was attached to the CG chihuahua. It wasn't just ILM working on the CG of Mars Attacks either. All the flying saucer shots, the enormous robot scene, numerous shots in Las Vegas, the desert, Washington, D.C., and the lengthy four-plus-minute title sequence of the flotilla of saucers flying from Mars to Earth were all produced by Warner Digital. Not all effects in Mars Attacks were CG. Of course, one of the most famous scenes involved Lisa Marie, Tim Burton's girlfriend at the time, dressed in a long slinky dress which had no visible buttons or zips. She had to actually be sewn into the dress and, and that was designed by regular Tim Burton collaborator Colleen Atwood. The same year she worked on the excellent That Thing You Do, that's episode 126 of this podcast. Colleen Atwood took inspiration from the look of the cards, also from Marilyn Monroe, Jane Fonda in Barbarella and the work of Alberto Vargas, a famous Peruvian-American painter of pinup artists. Lisa Marie had a particularly tough time on set with the huge Martian girl wig. This was made out of real hair. It was incredibly heavy and she could only wear it for small portions of time due to the pressure on her neck. She still has physical scarring from the experience. Lisa Marie was placed on a moving floor ramp for her walking motions, which were stilted mostly because of the tightness of her dress. But it also adds to the weirdness of her motions. And for such a small character with only a few minutes of screen time, Martian Girl would become a bit of an icon. Supermodel Kendall Jenner dressed as Martian Girl last Halloween, and the look of Martian Girl was all taken from the look of the trading cards, although admittedly the Martian Girl trading cards, they would actually come out in the 80s and 90s, so they were not from the 60s. But the ridiculously heavy wig would have its own story as well, because the wig designer would end up losing the Martian Girl wig was accidentally left in a New York cab, the production had to go and spend around $25,000 on a new one. The destruction of the casino was, as well, completely real. They used real footage of the demolition of the landmark casino in Las Vegas and superimposed it into the shot. To get that classic, eerie, otherworldly spaceship sound, you traditionally use something called theremin which was used for those 50s sci-fi B-movies to depict spaceship travel. But the Mars Attacks production couldn't find a theremin player, so they ended up using an Ondes Martinot, a keyboard with a theremin sound. 
And then there's the Independence Day-sized elephant in the room. With Roland Emmerich wanting to beat Marvel's attacks into cinemas with its more serious, more traditional hero saves the day alien invasion movie, audiences flocked to see it in summer 1996. But these two movies do have similarities, and it's not just the alien invasions. Both have aliens decimating landmarks. Both have rural families helping to save the day. Both have an unlikely way of saving the day. Independence Day's virus versus Slim Whitman. Both have a prominent family of black characters with dads who face off against the alien invaders. Both have dog characters. Although Mars Attacks does kill a dog and I'm still not sure how I feel about that because canonically you never kill dogs or children in movies. Although I guess the Martians just don't give a shit. Each has sort of a hippie female character who's really into the alien's arrival. And each has a rousing presidential speech. Only one of these movies has Tom Jones, though, and that's this one. But seriously, both productions knew the other existed, but also a lot of these are general science fiction tropes. And two movies with similar premises being released in the same year is not a new phenomenon. Armageddon and Deep Impact, Volcano and Dante's Peak, Friends with Benefits and No Strings Attached, A Bug's Life and Ants, Basically, don't get me to tell you which of those pairs of movies I prefer. But while the tone of all of these movies are similar, Independence Day and Mars Attacks are so remarkably different in tone. And when it came to Mars Attacks being screened for test audiences, they absolutely loved it. Screenwriter Jonathan Jones said he'd never seen a reaction like it. But when it came to the premiere of Mars Attacks, the reaction was distinctly more muted. Maybe something to do with the fact that Mars Attacks was a spoof and it was always supposed to be a spoof. Hence why the movie contained 50s tech and not 90s tech. But with the summer of Independence Day, audiences didn't really get it. And this is something that I'm going to come back to because Mars Attacks is now seen as a cult classic. But back in the mid 90s, I don't think audiences really got the joke of this movie. I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on to the obligatory Keanu reference of this podcast. This is a part of this podcast where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves and really the easiest way to link him. And I know that I've used this one before. And there is an unwritten rule on the obligatory Keanu reference that I can't use the same reference twice. But I think this is different enough in the fact that the reason why I'm using this reference is because. Mars Attacks is obviously a clear homage to alien invasion movies. And The Day the Earth Stood Still, the original came out in 1951. And so the easiest way to link to that movie is to basically say that the remake of that movie starred Keanu Reeves as Klaatu. I actually don't mind that remake. I think it's okay. Admittedly, I've not seen the original. Yeah, you know, I'm one of those people who I will tend to watch the more modern remakes. I know that's really bad of me. But as a clear homage to something like The Day the Earth Stood Still, that is the easiest way to link this movie to Keanu Reeves. The music for Mars Attacks was a revival of the partnership between Tim Burton and Danny Elfman, who'd reportedly had a bit of a falling out post The Nightmare Before Christmas. All the music was composed by Elfman, except Tom Jones's It's Not Unusual and Slim Whitman's Martian-busting Deus Ex Machina Indian Love Call. 
Now, when it came to the marketing of Mars Attacks, this did actually blaze a bit of a trail when it came to the fledgling internet marketing market, if you know what I mean. Back in the mid-90s, it got its own promotional website, which included behind-the-scenes trivia, Tim Burton's sketches and cast bios. And of course, nowadays, every movie has an online presence. But Mars Attacks offered a silly, fun attempt with some of the earliest examples of online promotion. And actually, in an Entertainment Weekly review of this website, because weirdly, they reviewed websites in Entertainment Weekly in 1996, they gave this website a B rating and said, quote, Mars Attacks. Here's a site that's attractive enough to nudge you in its general direction, but not sufficiently weighty to pull you into permanent orbit. Its main goodies are so dumb they're fun interactive games, including a cheesy space shooter, a generous selection of director Tim Burton's production sketches, bios of the cast, lots and lots of them, this flick seems to employ half the working actors in America, and links to pages Sirius, the Centre for Mars Research, and silly Alien Abductees Anonymous. I know Burton has had better things to do lately, but I'd love to see what the guy could accomplish with two weeks and a web page construction programme. Seriously, that website sounds super fun. It's not available anymore, sadly, but I'm going to go for the cheesy space shooter. Anyway, so when this movie was actually released, five months after Independence Day on the 13th of December 1996, it was also released the same week as Jerry Maguire. Aforementioned Independence Day was still in the box office charts too. It was still at number 11 after 25 weeks. That's how big Independence Day was. For Mars Attacks, though, in its second week, it dropped to eighth because the US audience just did not seem to get the satire of this movie at all. On a $75 million budget, Mars Attacks made $37.8 million domestically in the US and $63.6 million internationally for a total worldwide gross of $101.3 million. And it is considered a box office bomb in the US. Post its release, Tim Burton was quite upset at the reaction, stating it had put him off making any more movies. That wasn't the case, of course. He would return for 1999's Sleepy Hollow. But the reaction did put a stop to his planned Superman Lives movie with Nicolas Cage. Critically, it received a mixed critical response too, with critics not really understanding why the movie was so nihilistic. They didn't understand the lack of a hero, the aimless point of the Martians' invasion, and the fact there were few redeeming human characters, just completely missing the point of the story then. Most, though, reveled in Burton's humour and the schlock factor and the faithful recreation of B-movie sci-fi. Mars Attacks would end up being shortlisted for the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects, but it wouldn't actually end up being nominated. Independence Day would, and it would go on to win that award instead. So let's move over to social media thoughts. I like to ask on Patreon, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook what people think of the movie that I'm featuring. And of course, we're going to start with, as always, the patrons of this podcast. We're going to start with perennial commenter Andy. And Andy says, After what would be his finest hour in Edward, it would only make sense that Tim Burton would attempt to make his own green men from outer space movie. Unfortunately, the majority of the movie going public wasn't in on the joke and the movie is renegated to Burton's also rant. This is an unfair assessment. Whilst not up to the finest of his works, it's a fun send-up of the types of movies I watched on Mystery Science Theatre 3000. 
And while it has a hard time trying to make cheap looking visual effects on a big studio budget, it has a manic energy that makes it a fun Saturday afternoon movie. We also had a comment from his podcast co-host, Mike, who said, I don't have the same look for this movie as my Geek Salad co-host. I saw the trailers for the movie and I thought it looked like a goofy, fun parody of old science fiction films. What I did not expect was the over-the-top violence and excessive gore. I do appreciate Tim Burton's very unique style and I do enjoy his films to a certain extent, but when I walked out of the theatre, I couldn't help but feel that the movie I had seen was not the movie that the advertising had sold me. And Andy and Mike, they also have their own podcast. It's called Geek Salad. And it's basically the podcast for all of your nerdy, geeky needs. They cover movies, music, TV shows, games, all sorts of stuff on Geek Salad. And there's definitely going to be episodes that are right down your street or right up your canal on Mars or whatever. I don't know, just trying to link. But I will put some information in the show notes for their podcast. You should absolutely listen to Geek Salad. It is a super fun podcast. We also have a patron comment from Dave, who simply says, if only this film had come out before Independence Day. And to that, I feel like people still wouldn't have got this movie, even if it had come out before Independence Day. But potentially, it would have maybe made a bit more money and people wouldn't have seen it as a knockoff of Independence Day, perhaps. Because I do feel like there are so many similarities that a lot of people think that this is like the knockoff Independence Day, and it's just so completely different to Independence Day. But Roland Emmerich clearly wanted to beat them, and he beat them, and it worked. And that's all I'll say. And the final patron comment comes from Nicholas, who says, It feels like Tim Burton truly let loose, with no studio interference able to make a bonkers film that is as funny as it is weird. Due to his high standing in Hollywood, he got to fill the film with an outstanding cast. Right, we're going to move over to Twitter and we're going to start with at Capital Games Pod, who said, Saw this in the theatres because EW's film preview that year had a big spotlight on this because of the cast. And while I liked the cast, I thought the movie was okay. I do have to watch it again because, to be fair, the movies it's cribbing I never watched at the time. At Neil Burt said, Mars Attacks is a bonkers film that I'm so happy got made. Loved it as a kid and love it now. At Vincent Asher said, One of the few Tim Burton films that doesn't use the colour black everywhere. Not a favourite, but the quirkiness, offbeat story and star-studded cast makes an entertaining movie. It's a classic B-movie with top movie magic. At Andrew Gorge said, Love this film and Tom Jones's cameo in particular. Well, it's not unusual. <laughs> I've used that joke before, but I'm going to use it again. At Mark Patterson said, I absolutely love it. The 50s aesthetic, Sarah Jessica Parker as a dog, Tom Jones with an eagle, Sylvia Sidney is a star and steals the show for me. At Holmes Movies Pod said, Deeply bonkers and wonderfully satirical film that is very self-aware of what kind of film it is. Tim Burton channeling Edward with this Independence Day type spoof. And it has one of the best casts ever assembled for a film. At At Pedestrian said, It's definitely one I didn't understand when I was young in the theatre. I find it amusing now and kind of feels like 95 to 99 was low-key the height of Burton. At Sat Mornpod said, It's a goofy and original movie with manic energy. It's a good time with a huge cast just waiting to be killed slash maimed. 
is also one of the last great Tim Burton movies. At AJ Black Reuter said, Absolutely without question the best film Tim Burton has ever made, for me at least. Remember seeing it three times in 1997 at the cinema. Amazing cast who ham it up beautifully. Wonderful score by Danny Elfman. A bonkers postcard to the 1950s B-movie with a 90s heart. At Thief CGT said, I just watched it for the first time about a year or two ago and I thought it was a lot of fun. Ack, ack. <laughs> At Needed Roads said, ack, 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 ack. Exclamation marks times three. I hope I'm doing that right for the uh, Martian listeners. I hope I'm not mispronouncing any of the words. At Big Chief Burrito said, Watched it the week it came out. One of my favourites inspired some of my sci-fi work. And at Mad Mod Monkey said, Brilliant film. Moving over to Instagram, we have at Dave underscore J underscore Banff. And I'm already smiling before I say this because let's just say Dave makes a bit of a boo-boo with his comment. Uh, it's hilarious. So Dave says, Oh my gosh, Mars Attacks. What a great movie. Great cast. The cast know what they're doing. I haven't watched it in a while, so I don't know if the CGI would hold up. But I think that would give it a further added charm. I often walk around screeching, Na na, na na. Sorry for making you say that, Em. Love this movie. Now, obviously, <laughs> I had to ask Dave what he meant when he said, Na 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 na. And obviously, he meant, Again, hope I'm pronouncing that right for the Martian listeners. So we had a bit of a conversation on Instagram about it. And Dave, please don't change. I love you. You're so funny. And Dave obviously realised his mistake. So he gave another comment and basically said, Why on earth did I think it was na na na? They're not singing the Batman theme tune. <laughs> so, yeah. Dave, you are a legend. Don't ever change. And the final comment is from at Friendly Smile Pod, who said, This movie made me a Tom Jones fan. All-star cast, brilliant acting, and general 90s weirdness. 10 out of 10. No comments over on Facebook, but let's be honest, the quality of the comments on Mars Attacks has been interstellar. It's been that good. And obviously, again, Dave, you are an absolute legend. But... A huge thank you to everyone for your comments on Mars Attacks. It's been so wonderful, actually, to read so many amazing comments and quite a lot from some new commenters as well, which is always really nice to see. I kind of figured that maybe a movie like Mars Attacks would be the sort of movie that would garner a lot of comments, but you can never be too certain. So I'm just really grateful to everyone who took the time to comment. So as always, thank you very much for all of your comments for Mars Attacks. Human beings being scumbags. Politicians not having a clue in the face of global catastrophe. Are we sure this was made in 1996 and not 2022? But, I digress, let's be honest, an advanced alien race with the ability to travel from Mars, create inventive weapons and state-of-the-art technology, they would have zero interest in coming to Earth peacefully. They would completely decimate us. We have nothing to offer them. The fact that we don't need to know or understand the Martian side, the, but why are they killing humans? Just kind of adds to the charm and reverence of this movie. 
that an advanced species just simply won't care. Just like a shark doesn't care about killing a seal, it's just top of the food chain stuff. And the Martians in Mars attacks are no different. The fact they can simply smoke up a nuclear bomb just proves the point. They're just here to laugh at our stupidity. And to be honest, with the human race right now, and the stupid decisions being made left, right and centre, I'm looking at you, US Supreme Court. No wonder. Humans are dumb and absurd. And so, seriously, aliens should laugh at us. Mars Attacks is such an astute satire and parody of paranoia and political warnings of the 50s Cold War era. We think we're the good guys and we deserve to win. We don't. The only people who truly win in this movie are the innocent bystanders. In many ways, Mars Attacks was set up to fail because humans don't like to be told they're stupid. But it's actually very typical of Tim Burton to give us this kind of gleefully macabre sci-fi. For him, it's a fitting tribute to Ed Wood. The only way it would be more Burton is if Johnny Depp made a cameo, and apparently they did try. The trading cards were mean-spirited and horrific in the best way, and if you're looking for something faithful to that, this movie does its best to be, while not falling for the standard sci-fi tropes of Humans are the best, and here they come to save the day. Mars Attacks may be the unloved cousin of Independence Day, but I argue it's more true to our real-life future when the aliens do come to visit than Independence Day will ever be. Because humans are dumb and stupid as shit, and because they're depicted as such, it's likely nothing like this will ever be made again. Not for this sort of budget, at least. Mars Attacks is a pulpy throwback, a loving homage, a satire of human behaviour, and a huge risk for Tim Burton. And at least they still have two out of three branches of the government working for them, and that ain't bad. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Mars Attacks. And if you do enjoy this podcast and you want to get involved for free to help this podcast grow, you can. So there are things you can do. You can have your comments read out in episodes. I put up thoughts posts on a Saturday on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. You can leave a comment and I will read that comment out and I will credit you for that comment. It's that simple. Other things you can do to support this podcast without paying a single penny you can leave a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. You could tell your friends and family about this podcast. Or you can follow me on social media. I am on social media at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. And you can also retweet or like posts wherever you find them, as long as you enjoy them. But if you do, then give it a like or a retweet because that always helps a little bit. And if you did like this episode on Mars Attacks specifically, you might also like one of the following episodes slash movies if you've not seen them. So the first movie I'm going to recommend an episode is episode 45, Little Shop of Horrors. Because again, that is an alien invasion movie and it's one of the best and funniest and most wonderful alien invasion movies that exists. It's the greatest musical pretty much ever made. I'd argue you don't even need to like musicals to love Little Shop of Horrors. I'm talking about the 1986 movie and it's just charm personified i can't recommend little shop of horrors enough it's so much fun and especially if you get the blu-ray you can see the alternate ending which is so much better than the theatrical ending too i'm also going to recommend the thing now the thing just turned 40 years old it came out in 1982 and when it came out it was a like mars attacks a box office flop but I did an episode on The Thing, it's episode 48, and The Thing is one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever made. 
It's a remarkable movie. It was made by John Carpenter. It's genuinely one of the best sort of suspenseful horror sci-fi movies out there. I absolutely wholeheartedly recommend the thing. Speaking of Tim Burton, I'm going to recommend episode 94, Beetlejuice, because why would I not? Beetlejuice is incredible. It's one of his best movies by far. And I'm also going to recommend episode 135, which is Corpse Bride, which is not the stop-motion animated movie that you think of when you think of Tim Burton, but it should be, because Corpse Bride is a little bit like the Mars Attacks to the Nightmare Before Christmas's Independence Day in that it always gets linked inexplicably to The Nightmare Before Christmas. But Corpse Bride is a really fun movie on its own merit. And it's absolutely beautifully animated as well. As I said, puppetry by McKinnon and Saunders on Corpse Bride. So I'd recommend all of those movies. And obviously, give me feedback. What do you think of my recommendations? Let me know if you see one of those movies and what you think. Because I would love to know, if you love Mars Attacks, what you think of one of those movies. So the next episode, I'm actually going to be sticking with an alien invasion movie. But it's a completely different type of alien invasion movie. I'm going to be talking about 2009's District 9, directed and written by Neil Blomkamp, produced by Peter Jackson, partially in a found footage format about the aliens arriving on Earth and basically becoming segregated into internment camps and it explores really interesting themes about social segregation, xenophobia and basically again that humanity is absolutely rubbish and obviously it is partially based on the apartheid era in South Africa so there's a lot of historical relevance to District 9 but ultimately District 9 was a remarkable success story made for 30 million dollars it ended up grossing over 200 million dollars so Huge success. And I really want to talk about District 9. So join me next week to talk about District 9. Right, just a quick plug for the Patreon because Verbal Diorama is free and it always will be free to listen to episodes of Verbal Diorama. But if you don't want to support this podcast financially, then you can and you can become a patron. So patrons get things like early episodes, access to the upcoming schedule, freebies, and additionally, the knowledge that they're making this podcast better hopefully they also get swears on episodes now i have sweared on this episode a couple of times so patrons will get those swears <laughs> but i'm sorry regular listeners you will not get those swears because the main feed is always going to be family friendly and suitable for all ages whereas the patrons they get the r-rated feed so if you are interested that's at verbaldiorama.com slash patreon huge thanks to the amazing patrons Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian M, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Ian D, Jason, Sunny, Drew, Nicholas, and welcome to the Patreon family, brand new patron Zoe. Zoe is the host of the Backlog Cinema podcast and just hugely grateful to you, Zoe. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for becoming a patron. So, Zoe, like every other patron, is now also going to get a little shout out on each episode. <laughs> if you want to check out my merch, it's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. If you want to say hi to me, or you can, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. Please send me emails just with I would love that. 
You can also go to verbaldialogue.com and you can also go or on the contact form on the website. One place you can't go is at Film Stories because I don't have, I don't have any contact details on there, but you can buy copies of the magazine and you can also read articles that I write online. And finally, why are you doing this? Why? Isn't the universe big enough for both of us? <laughs> what is wrong with you people? We could work together. Why be enemies? Because we're different. Is that why? Think of the things that we could do. Think how strong we would be. Earth and Mars together. There is nothing that we could not accomplish. Think about it. Think about it. Why destroy when you can create? We can have it all. Or we can smash it all. Why can't we work out our differences? Why can't we work things out? Little people. Why can't we all just get along? Bye. Movie